Revelation chapter 13, let's begin in verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I looked uh, and saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He, has, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the, be, the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Let's pray together. Father, we just want your will. We want everything that you have for us today. We're so grateful, Lord, with this world getting worse and worse. Lord, we have your word to turn to. To, to receive 100% pure truth, eternal truth, that will outlive the heavens and the earth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, as we study this passage today. Help us, Lord, to learn everything you want us to learn and to help us to be able to have your word as the foundation upon which you build our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring us into maturity, Lord, as we are, are your disciples uh, in studying your word. So we pray that your spirit would be our teacher. Help us, Lord, to have an appetite for the eternal to let this, the things of this world and the cares of this world fade away to help us to be focused on eternity and the things that are going to last forever. Lord, I pray that for each one of our hearts today. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We are continuing in this little pause uh, between the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. And we started this little pause last week as we began chapter 12. And so this little parenthetical time or this little interlude or pause between the judgments um, will continue up until chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we'll see those bold judgments start coming really quickly, one after another. First bold judgment, second bold judgment, third bold judgment, just one on top the other. And so he has some things that he wants to share with us in, in between that time. And as I said last week, it's like he's giving us a little uh, glimpse or a little bit more detail into his enemies and what this world's going to face, uh, those that are left behind. We won't be having to deal with any of these things because we will already be in heaven. Those of us that know Christ, that have a personal relationship with him, that have been born again, We are going to be in heaven. We are not going to be on this earth dealing with these things. But he wants us to know what's going on on this earth at that time now 
for many reasons, uh, but, but also for us just to see a little bit of what he's planning and to, for him to reveal to us that he is sovereign over all of it. We're going to see many different times in this chapter where it will see the words given, like it was given to him or he was granted. That is to show us that Satan and, and all the, his demons and so forth are on a leash, that God is sovereign over the enemy. And God, need, God uh, knows that he is in control of all those things, and, but we can forget that. I know I can forget it. Sometimes you think, is God still on the throne? I mean, with what's going on in my life, I mean, it seems like maybe he's forgotten about me or maybe he's not sovereign. And we can be tempted, all of us, to think that at times. But he is in control. He's in control of all of it. And he's going to use his enemies to his advantage to fulfill his plan and so forth. And so that's one of the purposes of why he reveals it in chapter uh, 13. Now, last week we saw two as we looked at chapter 12, we saw two signs that he gave John in heaven. And signs are inferior to that which what they point to. So the, the sign, we saw two signs. We saw this woman who gave birth to a child. And we also saw this fiery red dragon. And you remember when, when we were looking in chapter 1, we saw that in the very beginning in verse 1, we were told that that this revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. And one of the key verses or key words rather in that verse is the word signified. The first four letters of signified is the word sign. So this whole thing was going to be revealed to John through signs and through revelation and through visions and so forth. And so it shouldn't surprise us that last week we saw him show John these two signs. And they they represented something very specific. First of all, we saw the woman representing Israel. And it doesn't, the woman doesn't represent Mary because Mary didn't go into the wilderness and escape to the wilderness as we saw last week. Israel is going to escape and it's prophetically laid out for us that Israel is going to flee into the wilderness when the Antichrist uh, breaks that seven-year covenant with them and he goes into the upcoming temple that hasn't been built yet and he proclaims himself to be God. Then he turns on them. And John was told to measure the temple except the court of the Gentiles because he said that the Gentiles were going to trample the holy city, Jerusalem, for 42 months or three and a half years. And so this, this doesn't fit the description of Mary, and nor is it the church, as the church is described as a chaste virgin, not a, a mother giving birth and so forth. And then also we saw the dragon's identity revealed to us as Satan or the devil. And he just laid it out for us just plainly that that's uh, who that dragon is. But again, being the fallen people that we are, we can mess that up. There's all these commentators talking about who this, uh, who this dragon is. And, and, it, and it says right there that it's, that it's Satan. So Satan is, um, you know, he's kind of um, laid out as this fiery dragon that is just devouring. It's, it's, and he's going to reveal the Antichrist as this beast so it's, it's, this, it's this description of something that's fierce, that's something that's powerful, that's going to devour anyone that comes uh, across its path. And so uh, we're going to see him kind of continue uh, this week as we study, study chapter 13 because he's going to introduce us or, or at least go into a little bit more detail related to the Antichrist and the false prophet. And the dragon, the Antichrist or the beast, and the false prophet constitute or kind of make up this unholy or counterfeit trinity. Satan's always counterfeiting. He's always trying to counterfeit uh, something related to God. And so we know that he's very good at it. He wants to be worshipped. He's going to do whatever he can to imitate God and the things of God so that he can be worshipped in a more, um, a more direct way. And so he, here the dragon is representative of Satan. And this dragon or Satan is pretending to be the father, the sovereign one that rules. The, the dragon's going to be the one that gives power to the beast, gives power to the Antichrist, is the one that's going to be overseeing the Antichrist. He's going to possess the Antichrist. Much like Jesus became flesh and, and the, the God became flesh in the Lord Jesus and he was God incarnate. Satan's going to try to do that. He's going to try to have the Antichrist be the, the false Messiah and be in, um, incarnated or possessed by himself and so forth. 
But then the Antichrist will pretend to be the Son. He will pretend to be the Messiah. He'll be kind of the, the human manifestation of, 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 of God. But he won't be. He'll be a, a counterfeit Messiah. And then the false prophet, as we'll see in the last part of this chapter, in chapter 13, he's going to play the Holy Spirit in this unholy or counterfeit trinity because he's going to point people to the Antichrist. The role of the false prophet is going to rule over the religious system of this world at that time. He's going to point people to the Antichrist. Just like the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. Jesus said about the the Holy Spirit that he would not testify of himself. That he would testify of Jesus. And so it's just this the old, you know, counterfeit deal that, that Satan does and so forth. But this time, he's going to be able to kind of formulate this unholy or counterfeit trinity, and people are going to fall for it because the church won't be here to say anything to the contrary. So this, this deception is just so huge. And you, we may think of it from our standpoint and go, how could anyone fall for that? Isn't that just so obvious? But it's not. When you're not indwelt by the Spirit, you don't know God's Word, you fall for anything. And the church is gone. The preserving effect of the salt of the church uh, has been removed. And people are thankful that we're gone. They're like, praise the Antichrist that these, because that's all they can praise, praise the Antichrist or, you know, that these wacky, crazy religious fanatics are gone. Aliens took them or whatever this deception will be. They will be very thankful. Now, this Antichrist is going to absolutely dominate the political system of this world. And the false prophet, though, is going to completely dominate the religious system of this world. There's ecumenicalism that seems to be increasing where we're seeing the religion's pressure to bring the religions all together. Now, I'm not talking about unity within the body of Christ and so forth. That's good. That's healthy. Jesus prayed that we would be one in terms of the body of Christ. But I'm talking about all the religions of the world coming together, and that's called religious pluralism. And people are so offended today by us saying that Christianity is the only way to the Father. And they think, oh, that's so narrow, you know, and like as if truth isn't narrow all by itself. And, and every religion believes they're the truth, you know, except maybe the Baha'i faith where they believe all the religions are equally valid, but they're not logically valid in their claim. And so that there's more and more pressure. And even the Pope today is, is saying that atheists can go to heaven. And he's, he's, not, he's saying that, that it's, there's, there's flexibility. Somehow there's like this learning curve or, or this grading on a curve so forth where different religions, you know, God understands. And if they worship God in their own way and they're sincere, all of that is moving us towards this whole end times religious system that's going to fully come on the scene. I'm not saying that the Catholic Church necessarily is going to head that up, but maybe it's going to be the basis from which that system comes. And so it'll just kind of all be brought in and so forth. And, and that, that narrow thought that truth is narrow uh, is going to be thrown to the side and they're going to say all, all religions are valid as long as you're sincere. That all, that's all that matters. And who are we to say that, you know, you are wrong in your beliefs? And so, well, I've asked people before. I said, well, if all the major religions contradict, there really is only two options. Either they're all false or one's correct. Is that, isn't that right? And they have to agree to that. Sometimes they're very reluctant to agree with me on that. And they finally come around and admit that. Well, I mean, that's just logic. I mean, things contradicting can't all be true. And then once they agree, and then I say, well, you're just as narrow as I am. Because you agree that contradicting views can't all be the same thing, or else they wouldn't be different religions. They'd all be one. So that's, that's going to be, there's going to be this continuous pressure, and you're going to see more and more. I mean, Pastor Garth, who came and spoke uh, before we had moved, he spoke a few months ago related to the pressure that leaders are under to cave and just kind of lump everything together. And you'll see it first in churches that are not sticking as close to the Bible, but eventually it's going to get more stronger and stronger, and there's going to be this pressure to all come together and be one, and, and that's all going to culminate in this religious system that this false prophet oversees. So he begins in verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, 
and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So he says, I stood on the sand of the sea. This may be something he's just caught up and he's standing on, he sees this picture, he's standing on sand and he sees this, this beast come out of this vision, this, the vision of the sea, and, 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 he, and he's remarking uh, on this, this, this sea this way that the Antichrist is coming out of it. So some people say, well, this isn't literal, a literal sea. It's, it could be talking about the nations because in chapter 17, he's going to refer to the sea as the nations, which that could be true here. He could be really just talking about he comes out of the nations. That could be the case. But it could be something that John actually saw. Obviously, he's not going to be like, you know, Aquaman's, you know, brother or something that lives in the sea and he comes out of the sea and he appears, you know. That's not going to be the case. Sorry for bringing in, you know, super friends into this. I can't help it. It's just, I was always jealous of Aquaman. I really was. He really, to him to be able to talk to fish was just amazing. Okay, let's move on. So he's referred to as a beast here. This isn't the first time he's going to be referred to as the beast. Um, he's referred to as a beast 26 times here. And really the idea from the Greek is that he's ferocious. That he is just, just takes no prisoners. It's not just, the, it's not painting that he's just ugly and he's just kind of a beast. It's, it's emphasizing his ferociousness and how much he attacks and how deadly and how dangerous he is. And notice also in verse 1, we're told the first beast has seven heads and ten horns. And as I mentioned, these ten horns, we've already seen that they're ten kings. And we're going to see this, this group in Europe, this, this government in Europe, get more and more powerful as time goes by. And Daniel received a vision. Uh, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And re- you may remember that the magicians couldn't do it. And, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't even say what the dream was. He says, you have to tell me the dream, and then you have to interpret it. And God gave him the, the dream and the interpretation. And he said, you saw a head, a head of a figure, and a, this, this, head, this figure's head was made out of gold, and then there was a chest and arms of silver. There was a stomach and thighs of bronze. It had legs of iron, and then its feet were a mixture of iron and clay. And he talked about how each one of those, was, he said that Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, and so forth. And each different uh, part of that image was world-ruling empires that conquered the previous one. And it talked about that the one, the iron, was the fourth one. Now, if you go all the way down to, when you, in history, you can see that, you know, the Babylonians were conquered by the Medo-Persians, the Medo-Persians were conquered by the Greeks, and the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. So the, so the Roman Empire represents the, the legs of iron there. And, but the, the feet, though, had, that world-ruling empire has not come forth. Where, that's represented by the feet of iron and clay. And so... That is yet to, to come. I want to read to you. Like, why don't you hold your place here and turn to Daniel chapter 11. Because I want you to see a little bit more about this Antichrist. And he's going to rule over these ten kings. And he's going to rule this last empire. And he's, gonna, he's going to, uh, at the very end of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to have some problems holding it all together at the end. So look at Daniel chapter 11. Let's begin reading in in verse 36. Daniel 11, 36. Then it says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies. Remember, we just read that he speaks blasphemous things. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Again, there's the sovereignty of God there. Verse 37. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. So it appears that he's going to be Jewish. It's hard to believe that Jews would not or would receive him as the Messiah without him being Jewish. So he's probably uh, Jewish there. He won't, but he won't regard the God of his fathers. He won't regard Judaism nor the desire of women. And some people have looked at this and they've said, oh, he's going to be homosexual or something. But he doesn't say, nor the desire for women. He says the desire of women. He won't care about those type of relationships. He'll be totally focused on what he's about there. Nor regard any God. So he's going to claim to be an atheist. For he shall exalt himself above them all. 
Now, this will be attractive to the world. The world will look at that and say, he's above religion. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? That our leader is, he's above religion. He's not backward-minded as those other people that got caught up by aliens or whatever or disappeared. He is, he's with science. He's scientific in this scientific age. He's, you know, so he, it'll be so attractive. Verse 38. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses. So that, he's going to be a man of war. He's going to be all about uh, serving the God of war or serving, you know, conquering and so forth. He's going to be all about that. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. So he's going to invest in world domination. He's going to invest in those things and being uh, dominant over other uh, countries. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end, the king of the south, this is talking about the end of the seven-year tribulation, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and also the the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace, between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So here's the Old Testament, and there's, there's a few other passages, but here's the Old Testament commentary on how he will worship war, he will, be, he will enjoy and completely relish the thought of conquering people. He will love it. And he will go into that temple and proclaim himself to be God and so forth. And he will turn on the Jews. He will renounce his, his faith in terms of his lineage, probably being Jewish, though. But he will practically, in a practical way, he will serve this God of war. And he will pour resources into it. But again, as we see, it starts to kind of fall apart on him towards the end of the seven years. We're going to see that later on in Revelation. And then when, right when he's trying to fight them, these different armies and everything, right at the very end of the tribulation, then Christ comes back. And then they get this bright idea. Hey, let's fight him who's coming from heaven. Heaven. Think about that. Coming from heaven, let's fight him. And like you're going to even have a chance. And they all coalesce and focus their efforts on fighting him. And then you can read Psalm 2 and read what, how God views that and just laughs. Now, uh, you can leave uh, Daniel. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read one other place where uh, we're, we're uh, given more detail related to the Antichrist. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Here's two other titles for the Antichrist. I'm sure he won't put that on his business card. The man of sin and the son of perdition. Verse 4. Who opposes, so we already read that in Daniel, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Who's going to go in that temple going to refer to himself as God. He's going to, again, not serving the God of his fathers. And he's going to say, I'm, I'm it. And I'll back it up. He, he will not say, just believe me. He'll say, I'll back it up. I'll show you that I'm worthy to be worshipped. He'll turn on the Jews. They'll take off to Petra or some other place out in the wilderness. And then he will just pour out his wrath on the Jews and hunt them down. It's horrible. Now he keeps going in this chapter 2, verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul said, do you not remember, verse 5, 
that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of godliness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. And we're seeing that in Revelation. With all, notice the word all, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now you can turn back to Revelation 13. So this, this Antichrist is going to go into the temple, proclaim himself to be God, and want to be worshipped as God. But we know that the Antichrist can't be revealed until the one who restrains is taken out of the way. And I believe that that's the influence of the Holy Spirit through the church. So the, people say, oh, I know who the Antichrist is. No, you don't. Because he's not going to be revealed until the rest, one who is strange is taken out of the way. So that's, don't even go down that road. <laughs> People ask, who is the Antichrist? I did this calculation and I added up all the letters of this guy's name and I did all the, the, the you know, the, the, the geometry and, and, the, and the algebra and the, <laughs> I did all the math calculations and I figured out that all of it, it's this guy. And I know it's him. No, you don't. He's not going to be revealed. So the one who is strange is taken out of, out of the way. I do believe he's probably alive right now. And the question is, does he know he's the Antichrist? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe at one point he'll, he'll know uh, if he doesn't know already. He could be young. I don't know that we're told anywhere about his age. Because if he's super young, a lot of people, sorry youth that you're in here, but a lot of people don't think that young people can handle a whole lot when they're until they're a little bit older. So for just think about a young guy that's, you know, 22, 23, 28, I don't know. That's young to me. Sorry, youth. You're like, I wish I was 28. Uh, but you're, you know, you're, you're just going, and then this guy has all this supernatural wisdom and can do all that. You're going to worship him even more. I mean, we don't know. Could be very young. I don't know. But they're going to give him plenty of reason to be amazed. And I think that's one of the things we forget when we're studying this is just how supernatural and how deceptive that's going to be. It's going to be really, really deceptive. I mean, you're going to look at it and go, not you, but you know, people are going to look at it and go, this guy has to be this promised Messiah that we've been waiting for. He's the guy. One thing that we should remember as believers is that God hasn't called us to be looking for the Antichrist, but be looking for Christ. That's who we're looking towards. We're not supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. We're supposed to be looking for him and having our head looking up, knowing that he could be coming because our redemption draws near. Notice also in verse 2, Revelation 13, that he's referred to as a leopard or described kind of like this, this multifaceted beast. He says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, in Daniel, these different kingdoms that I talked about are referred to as different animals. And the leopard is referred to as, um, is, in history, is revealed as Greece and the bear, Medo-Persian Empire, the lion, the Babylonian Empire. And so I believe it's talking about this description of him is that he's the fullness of a world-ruling empire. Every world-ruling world empire that we've seen so far pales in comparison to this empire. And, and he conquers all of the different regions that those original world-ruling empires uh, where they were based out of. He conquers even them. And I, so I just believe that it's talking about this great power that he has. But notice the dragon has gave him his power. That's where this power comes from. He's tapped into Satan. No matter what he looks like on the outside, no matter what he claims, he is tapped into the devil. And the devil gave him all these things. His, his power, his throne, great authority and all of that. But he's defeated in the end. See, Satan just ripped him off. Like he rips everybody off. He, he claims that he can do all this stuff for you, but he, he, he never can deliver. 
And, and, and so it's the truth with our lives. You know, we can be tempted like we're missing out on something that God is holding out on us, just like he tempted uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, but he's not holding out on us. We don't ever lose out on anything because we are obeying what Christ says. But notice he so suffers a serious head wound in verse 3. He says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now this is likely an assassination attempt. We're not told that explicitly, but likely it was an assassination attempt. A little later we're going to be told it was with a sword. Uh, somebody attempted that with a sword. And so he says he survives it, and it very well could be that you know he appears to raise from the dead. Okay, and he's a counterfeiter, but it, it could be an immediate thing. And he just gets hit in, this he- in his head, and it looks like for sure that's, that would kill anybody. And then he miraculously get, heals himself or, or is self-healed, and, and everybody's amazed. They, they marvel at it. And notice he says that they followed, as a result, they followed the beast. It's like Jesus called the disciples to follow him. They are following after this beast because they're saying nobody could do that. Nobody, unless he were from God, no one could ever heal themselves like this. And they will absolutely bow down and follow him and worship him wherever he goes. Then following him turns into worship in verse 4. So they followed the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? This is exactly what Satan wanted from the beginning, is that worship. So they're worshiping. It goes from following to worship. And as, it's just like with us. The more we follow Christ, the more we see there's legitimate reason to worship him. So they're following Satan. and Because notice in verse 4, they worship the dragon. I don't think this is going to be, I mean, they're going to be deceived, of course, but I believe it's going to be purposeful. They're going to know that they're worshiping Satan. They're going to, be know, they're going to know that they're worshiping the beast and so forth. I don't think it's going to be indirect. They're worshiping the Antichrist and indirectly they're worshiping Satan. I think they're going to be worshiping Satan. And there's people that worship Satan today. But notice the questions. Who is like the beast? In other words, there's going to be no one that could come close. No one in the history of man will ever have been close to what this man is going to be. And who is able to make war with him? If he can heal himself, who can come against him in war? Again, he's going to be this false god of war. He's going to love war. He's going to love conquering people and showing force. The first three and a half years is not going to be him showing force. He's going to woo people to himself. He's going to win them over. And then when he takes this wound and he miraculously comes back to life, then they're going to worship him, and then he's going to unleash and rule by force there. It's important for us to see that. Verse 5. And he was given, notice the word given. This is something that, that God is sovereign over. He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, which you've already seen in Daniel. And he was given, again, God is sovereign, authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. He likes to talk. In sports, he'd be called a trash talker. But this is serious, blasphemous things that he's saying. Not just, you're horrible. Don't even, you should quit and go back to you know, your other hobbies, forget about sports. This is serious, blasphemous talk that he's going forth, allowing to go forth through his, through his mouth and, and, and being very public about it. Again, people love this. They're agreeing with it. They're saying, yes, I agree with everything that he's saying. And then it, notice at the end of verse 6, he says, not just he's blaspheming his name, his tabernacle, but also those who dwell in heaven. He's saying that against us. We're going to be in heaven at this point. And he's saying that against us. How dare he say that against us, right? He shouldn't even open his mouth towards us because we're the, we're the sons and daughters of the king. Amen? Hey, verse 7. It was granted again, granted permission to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, these are tribulation saints. These aren't, this isn't the church. We're in heaven already. 
This, these saints are tribulation saints, those that are coming to Christ during the seven-year tribulation. Remember, already there's the 144,000 male virgin Jews that have come to Christ that are evangelizing the world. And so he is allowed to make war with the saints, those tribulation saints, and overcome them. And he's given authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So if your name is not written in that book of life at that time, then you'll, you'll be open and ready to worship him and to give him all of that glory and so forth. But those that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, they will not do that. And the Lamb, it says, were slain before the foundation of the world. God, God knew from eternity past that he would create a creation or create man that would fall. And so in God's mind and in his heart, he's been slain. Jesus had been slain before this world even began. And people say, well, you know, look what happened to Jesus on the cross, you know, and as if that was out of his control. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can take it up again. So from God's perspective, he laid his life down. From man's perspective, he was murdered. And it says both in the New Testament. So he was slain before the foundation of the world. And we, he calls us to rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? No matter what happens to us in this life, no matter what we're going through, if we know Christ, our name is written in that book, and we don't have anything to be concerned about. Ultimately, the worst thing that could happen to us is we could die, and we're going to go to be with him in heaven. So he calls us to rejoice. And notice in verse 9 he says, and anyone who has an ear, let him hear. A little bit different than how we saw that being laid out in uh, chapters 2 and 3 when he's speaking to the churches. As he would say, what the church is, is saying to the church, to the, what the Spirit is saying to the churches, let every ear that has... He's not speaking to the church anymore because the church isn't on, on earth at this time. He's saying anyone that hears this voice, of, if his voice proclaiming that he's the truth and he's been slain before the foundation of the world and that God is sovereign over the enemy and all that, anyone who has an ear, hear that. Because that's the voice of God trying to reach your heart and trying to save you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ to forgive you of your sins. Are you hearing what God is speaking to you today about? Are you understanding Are you understanding that he wants to save you? He wants to forgive you of your sins? He's reaching out to you. He doesn't want you to have to go through all these things. Some, some of you may go, that scares me. I don't want... You don't have to be scared if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, there's plenty of reasons to be legitimately scared of what's going to happen. And God doesn't want you to have to go through that seven-year tribulation. He wants to forgive you of your sins today. He wants to you know, reveal his plan for, for uh, your life that he has for you. He wants to save you and he wants to use you. And so if, if you're here today, listen to what his voice is saying to you today. Verse 10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So as they go out and they, as he overcomes the tribulation saints, there's going to be recompense. There's going to, God's going to... Uh, pay back or or people are going to reap what they sow related to coming against his people and so he reveals that that they're not going to go unpunished and the patience of the faith of the saints in tribulation that that will be rewarded that will be blessed now the false prophet is introduced in verse 11 then i saw another beast coming up out of the earth so now it's not the sea it's the earth it's coming up out of the earth he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So this false prophet, this religious leader, that's going to point to the Antichrist and say, worship him. He's, not, he's going to have supernatural power as well, as we're going to see. But he's going to be very charismatic as well. And he's going to look innocent. That's what I believe, the little, two little horns like a lamb. He's going to look innocent. He's going to look harmless on the outside, but he's going to speak like a dragon. And he's going to speak harshly. He's going to speak horrible things and agree with everything that the Antichrist says. And he's going to point people to the Antichrist. He's going to be saying, this is the guy. This is who you've been waiting for. This is the one that's worthy to be worshipped. Verse 12, and he, that is the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast 
whose deadly wound was healed. Again, he's going to point to the Antichrist. He's not going to point to himself. Just like the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself, he points to Jesus. So too that this false prophet will point people to the Antichrist and he'll say you need to worship him. And he performs miracles. Look at verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So God isn't the only one that engages in the supernatural. Remember the magicians in Egypt? They could duplicate to a point what Moses did. And, and so the question we need to ask is not, is this real when it comes to the supernatural? But is it right? Is it biblical? I mean, he's literally going to, I don't know if it's going to be lightning or if it's going to be literal fire that comes down. But he's just going to be able to see, say to people, look at this. And he's just, I mean, things are going to get devoured with fire. That, just picture that happening. That, that would be very impressive. If someone did that in front of me, I would make sure I'm not going to get on their bad side. That's for sure. I'm going to stay on their good side all the time. Anyone that could call fire down from heaven. Verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So again, he deceives by these great miracles, these great signs. People aren't going to have any capacity to test what he does and see that it's not legitimate. And he, and he tells them, notice he tells them who dwell on the earth to make an image. He tells everyone on earth, you make an image that looks like this Antichrist so that you can worship this Antichrist because he was wounded and he came back to life. He's worthy of your worship. Now I want you to make a God and I want you to worship him. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So he creates this image of the beast and he was granted power to cause it to kind of come to life. It's alive. That's freaky. That is freaky. I don't know if it's a clone or what, but it, it's alive. Can you imagine? It looks like the Antichrist. It's alive. And, and he's saying, worship the image of this beast. And it, can, it has breath. Ugh, that's freaky. Glad I won't be around for that. It has, and, and, and if anyone that doesn't worship, he has the power to, to commit murder. And that will be normal. That will just be, you know, violence is getting more and more prolific in our culture. Between video games and movies and all of that, we get so desensitized to that. And, and it's just numbing this world to where it's no big deal for people to be killed. And, and eventually it won't be a big deal. If you refuse, it'll be so obvious to this world that if you don't worship this beast, you're insane. He's given you every legitimate reason. He's proved it. He's not like those, those guys that said that you need to believe everything by faith. He's actually done it in front of your face and called fire down from heaven and come back to life in front of your eyes and you're rejecting that. You're not worshiping that. You're not even worthy to live. And by that time, their hearts will be so desensitized to murder that it will be no big deal to say, yeah, put them, they're better off dead. The survival of the fittest. Let's just get them out. And, and that's going to be normal. And then he says in verse 16, he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the, num the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this is all about control, and this is all about worship. That's what the mark of the beast is about. It's about control, and it's about worship. It's, you won't be able to buy or sell anything. This could not have been possible except in the last 20 years or so, 20, 30 years, to where electronic, you know, cashless society could be possible. Could not have been possible till just in our culture. Now, there's so much there. I mean, you could get your, your dog have a chip in, the, in your dog to know if your dog gets lost. And we have GPS, we have cameras everywhere. And with terrorism, it's made people be more and more willing especially in other countries, not so much here as much because we're used to our freedom and our liberty, but in other countries, it's just like obvious. Of course, we got to have cameras and chips and GPS and be able to be tracked. They're not used to that freedom as much as we are here. But more and more, we're getting more and more pressure to give up our freedom in the name of terrorism. But what that's doing is preparing the stage to be set for this mark of the beast to come. 
And we're going to have a lot of things up until that time. We're going to have probably cashless society before the mark of the beast comes, I would imagine. It's going to be normal. We're just going to have debit cards. That's all we're going to have. Or we're going to have, you know, um, little things where we have Apple Pay now or Apple. You can use your iPhone and pay for stuff or whatever. That's, so cashless society, that's not really the thing. The mark of the beast is a, is a way to worship it's, it's all about worship. It's not just about buying and selling things without cash. But think of all the problems that would solve in this world. No counterfeiting. It would be hard to do drugs or deal drugs because there's no cash. I mean, you'd have the, all the hacking and all the identity theft. And I mean, all these, it would be such a good idea to not have cash. They're saying within five to ten years, there won't be any checks at all. It'll all be just, um, you, know, you know, without any paper. Some people love paper. I'm not a big fan of a lot of paper, but some people like having paper things around. So this is going to get, it's kind of setting the stage for this technology. And people are going to identify with this beast and be able to worship him by being identified. Because a number that's put on someone or a mark is a sign of ownership. See, again, he's counterfeiting everything. See, we, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's put our seal upon us. These 144,000 that are going to be in the earth that are evangelizing, they're going to have the seal on their foreheads. It's a, it's a sign of ownership. So what you're going to be saying at that time is, I want to be owned by the Antichrist. I'm his possession. I'm following him. I'm serving him. I'm worshiping him. And I want my life to be given over to him. And people get freaked out today, don't they, with that? I mean, it's... Why did the guy stamp my right hand at Disneyland? You know, when I, when I went out of the park, I think that's the mark of the beast. No, it's not the mark of the beast. I lived in a house in Modesto when I was uh, just out of high school and it was 666 was the street address. And there were people that wouldn't come and service our, the gardener wouldn't, we called for prices for the gardener. He wouldn't even show up. You know, like, I'm not going to go to that house. It's 666, you know, and all this the craziness. It's like, no. The Antichrist is going to be giving this. You see the Antichrist around? He, he's the one that's going to be giving this out. So we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't, what if I'm at the dentist and I'm under the gas or whatever, and all of a sudden I get this chip put in me or something? You know, there's all this paranoia out there. I'm trying to figure out you know, uh, anything related to a, a cashless society or anything like that. I don't want anything to do with it. That's the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is given by the beast. So if the beast isn't here, and he can't be here because we're not out of the way yet, then, then we don't have to be afraid of that. It's not just electronic society. It's the fact that you're identifying with him and you're worshiping him. And it, I think it's not going to be a chip, in my opinion. I believe it, it literally is going to be a mark, like a tattoo or something that goes, because it, one of the options is your forehead. I mean, how deep is that skin? You're going to put a little chip in there? I guess you could, you know, but I think it's going to be a way that you're identifying yourself with him and you're saying, I want to worship him. And once you take that mark, though, that's it. There's no going back. No salvation for anyone that takes that mark. So with all this technology, it's right here. It's right here at the door. It's ready to happen. And youth that are here, you youth that are here, don't be discouraged that there's no time for you to live your life and all. We don't know when all this is going to actually happen when the rapture comes. There is, we don't know how much time. It could happen today. But don't be afraid of, of the technology and all of that and afraid to go forward with your life because you feel like we're that close. We could be, but we, it could be a little bit a little longer as well. We don't know the, the exact day. We know the seasons and so forth, but we don't know the exact day. Now, verse 18, the last verse, he says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So it says, let him who has understanding calculate. That leaves us out. <laughs> We're not wise. We don't have all this understanding. People think they do, and they come up, okay, well, if you take the numbers 1 through 36, and you take 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, and you go all the way to 36, it equals 666, and there's 36 negative references to the Antichrist in the Bible. So that's got to be in you know, all this complicated stuff. We have to have a math degree to figure it out. We don't have understanding. We don't have wisdom. He hasn't given us exactly what that means. But we know that whatever that mark's going to be, 
Somehow 666 is going to be involved in that whole mark and, and, and identifying with him and so forth. Maybe he will. I mean, the deception is going to be so strong, he literally could say, hey, you know what? This number, 666, it represents who I am. So if you just want to refer to 666 and put that on your wrist or your forehead instead of my name or whatever, it's totally fine with me. And people will just go right along with it. That's how strong the deception is going to be. It's, it's going to be as if they've never heard that before related to the Antichrist and so forth. So I don't know, can't, can't, uh, can't calculate. When you think of 666, that's, you know, maybe it's talking about the number of man being six and, God, and Satan's trying to emulate a trinity here. So it's number of man is falling short of the fullness of God, you know, because he's not 777. Seven's a number of completeness and fulfillment. I don't know. I mean, anyone could take a shot at it. But it's here. It's, it's coming. We're not going to have to deal with it personally. And so we don't have that wisdom. Maybe God will give you that wisdom. If you have a good theory, let me know. I'm not going to pretend like I understand uh, how to calculate that. It gives me a headache, honestly. I don't want to have to go there so but this is this is the point of all of this before as we close when we get ready to prepare our hearts for communion we know all this is coming we can see it happening i mean it's not just it's not it's not uh kind of hidden you know and you have to look really hard to see it it's just like right out there in the open for us to see so as a christian what how is how am i supposed to process all of this i'm not going to have to ever see the antichrist in person i'm never going to have to be under his rule I'm not going to take his mark I'm not going to be on this earth during that time. But it's supposed to work in us in this, is that we're supposed to look at this world as getting closer and closer to the end. And as we've looked at these other things in Revelation, God's heart, as we've seen it revealed in Revelation, he's trying to reach people. He's trying to reach people even during the seven-year tribulation. So he doesn't want us to take this information and go, yeah, it's really close. I'm just blessed that I'm on the right side of truth. Now I'm just going to sit in my spiritual lazy chair, lazy boy chair, and, you know, and just kick back and just be blessed. He wants us to be busy about reaching the lost. He wants us to be reaching out to the hurting. He wants us to take this message and be faithful, being found busy about his business all the way to the very end. Hopefully every one of us is sharing our faith when he comes and raptures us out of here. Instead of just getting, you know, um, kind of fat and sassy, so to speak, spiritually, and just, you know, okay, I'm just hoarding all the blessings of God. No, there's hurting and lost people out there. And when they take this mark, there's no second chance. There's no way that they can get saved after that. And God knows that. And so it's supposed to have us, it's supposed to have its work in us in the way that we recognize that eternal things are the important things in our lives. And as we're going through this life and we're dealing with practical matters and so forth, he wants us to be able to think about, okay, what's, what's going on eternally right now in my life? Who's in my life at my job that needs Christ? Who in my family I've been praying for for a long time? I haven't shared anything with them in a long time related to spiritual things. How can I disciple my kids? How can I be a good example to my kids and prepare them for eternal things coming their way in their lives? That's, that's how God wants to use that in our lives. We, we're not going to be here during that time. But he wants us to, to be ready for him to come at any moment and prepare people that we've come in contact with to be ready for it. That's how he wants to use it. So let's do that.